Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here on a really important morning here at the core. And welcome to a new year and a new sermon series called Reset. Uh, just a few days after Christmas, I did a very, very dumb thing. I stepped onto my bathroom scale. <laughs> when I looked down, a number digitally appeared, a, a number that caught my attention because it was bigger than the biggest number I had ever seen between my big toes. <laughs> uh, for most of my life, uh, God has blessed me with a blessing that most of you are very not happy with. Um, just lightning fast metabolism. I eat like garbage, dessert 16 times a week. It's never really affected me, but about four or five months ago, I noticed that number started to creep up and 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 up until a few days after Christmas. The number was, I gained 10% of my body weight in about four months. And I stared at that number and I step off the scale and I sighed and I looked in the mirror and I realized my scale is broken. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, did you get a new scale? No, no, I'd heard this was happening. Like everyone always told me, you just wait, Pastor, you're going to hit this age and it's not going to be the same. And it's happening. And I, I kind of realized it might be that time in my life to push reset and to recalibrate and to rethink uh, my physical habits. And if you do that this time of year, um, whether you're an official you know, goal setting, New Year's resolution, person or not. A lot of us this time of year think about the way we treat our bodies, not because it's easy, but because most of us know that it matters. You know, think about those big three areas of our physical health, how we, how we eat, how much we sleep, and how often we move. And you know, the reason so many of us want to push a reset is because we live in a culture that makes that so difficult to do well. You know, it, it's difficult to get enough sleep when there's so many movies and series, and sports, and, and playoff matchups to watch. The Netflix CEO once said, the biggest competitor for Netflix is sleep. <laughs> and I bet if we interviewed sleep, they'd say, my biggest competitor is Netflix, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's really difficult to get the kind of sleep your body needs. And in a world where there's sugar packed into everything, where you know, cheap food is, is cheap, when fast food is so delicious and just genetically engineered to hit your palate just right. It's really difficult to treat your body well. But, I mean, you know, just like I do, the reason we care about those things is because it matters. Not just so that we can make it to 80, 85, 90 years old, but the energy we have today, the ability to serve people, uh, to be alert uh, and loving and selfless. We keep fighting, oftentimes, these same battles with our physical health because we know it's not everything, but it is something. And so at the start of a new year, lots of us want to push that reset button and rethink the way we treat this body that God gave us. Now, as, as important as all that is, I don't want to talk to you about your physical health today because I, I want to shift to something even more important but very similar, your spiritual health. Because I would propose to you that having a healthy soul is a lot like having a healthy body. It's not easy. Uh, we live in a culture that does not make a strong connection with God, a vibrant faith, an easy thing. It's not the default setting of modern America to give you a strong faith. It's, it's a fight and a battle and a race and it's work. And, and yet, you know, I'd propose to you that as much as it matters how you treat your body, it is so much more important the way you treat your soul. 
Uh, the way you answer the biggest questions of life, the kind of faith that you have deep in your heart. These are the things that, yes, matter at the end of life, but they matter in our daily life too. In fact, if you're taking notes at home or in your program, just like eat, sleep, and move are these three building blocks of physical health, I think there's three big spiritual things you need to answer this year. And they are your priorities, your purpose, and your place. Your priorities. I mean, you know that you can't make everyone happy. So the big question of today is, who who are you going to choose to make happy? There's no way you're going to get to the end of everything you could possibly do on every list. So which things will you do? And whose list will determine what you do? We've all gotten to the end of the year and kind of looked back and said, whoa, I did not use my time very well. We know that some things kind of intrinsically matter more than others. And so the, the big question for you is, are you doing the things in your life that matter the most to God? Are your priorities his priorities? Are, are you substituting the best things for lesser things? Every healthy soul needs to know exactly what their spiritual priorities are. And our purpose. Uh, newsflash, you are not an animal. If your dog gets enough to eat and you... Scratch him on his belly. He's pretty content with life. Um, But despite what you may have heard about some men, just filling our bellies and and scratching us (laughs) by the ears is not enough. The the human heart was actually created for a bigger purpose, a a higher meaning. Uh, We search for it. We we can't just get up and go through the motions and check the boxes. You were actually created for much more than that. And So the question is, do you know the purpose? To make money, pay the bills, cook another meal, pass another test? No, no, no. God has a much bigger purpose for wherever you go to school, whatever neighborhood you live in, whatever family you're a part of, whatever church you attend. Does your soul know the great purpose that God has for your life? Or, something I wish I would have known when I was 18, do you know your place in that bigger purpose? It's a question of, do you know yourself, who you are, and who you're not? Do you know the the way that God has wired you, which will lead you to to find your place in in the bigger picture? The the kind of stuff you should volunteer for, say yes to, and the kind of stuff that God just hasn't made you to do, and it's going to drain you and, and sabotage the bigger picture unless you say no to it? Do you know, as the Bible would say, your part in the body of Christ whether you're an eye or an ear or a mouth or a heart, whether you're the strong hands or quick feet or, or compassionate spirit, do you know where you fit in and what that means for the year to come? Well, these are big questions. Uh, maybe we don't think about it as we try to knock off five pounds of extra holiday weights, but I want you, God, in fact, needs you to know your priorities, your purpose, and your place, which is exactly what we're going to do for the next few weeks. In this sermon series, we're going to push the big spiritual reset button and try to get you back to the very basics of your priorities, your purpose, and your place. In fact, if you're still taking notes, here's how it's going to happen. Let me give you a preview. Um, We're going to turn to Jesus' great commandment where our Savior himself actually tells us what our priorities should be. Then we're going to look at what some people call Jesus' great commission where he talks about the great Christian mission and purpose of all of God's sons and daughters. And finally, we're going to study something that I call the great question. It's about spiritual gifts 
personality, where you fit, how you belong, what you should probably do, and what you probably shouldn't. If you stick with us for the next few weeks, you're going to find out your priorities from the great commandment, your purpose from the great commission, and your place from the great question. You're going to hit reset. And I hope and I pray that this year might just be the best spiritual year that you've ever had. So, let's kick off that discussion by talking about your priorities. Did you know that on the Tuesday before the Friday that Jesus died, a guy that had his PhD in the Bible pushed Jesus into a corner and forced him to pick the most important spiritual priority? Have you heard this story? It's in Matthew chapter 22. Here's the setup, starting with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Different religious groups were testing, challenging Jesus. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It's a big question. Um, The law, you might have noticed, had a capital L. This refers to the law of Moses, which are the first five books of the Bible, the ones that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you would just scrap the rest of your plans for the day and read all five of the books of the law of Moses, and if you would count with a highlighter every do and don't, every commandment given by God, you would count up 613 separate commandments. The law of Moses 248 times said do this and do this and do this and do this. And 365 times said, but don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. And don't do that. It was a great debate among rabbis and religious teachers. Well, which of, which of the ones matters most? If I'm going to focus on one for maximum spiritual health, here's the question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I'd be curious if you had a blank piece of paper and you all had to hand it in what you would say to that question. Um, you parents might write down, honor your father and mother, hand the slip to your child. Uh, You might think of the blessing of faithfulness and fidelity and, right, do not commit adultery. You might think about the worship of various gods or remembering the Sabbath day and and gathering around the word of God. We might have to think about that question, but uh, but Jesus actually didn't. He immediately responded in verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all 613 plus, hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus said, you want to know what your spiritual priorities should be? It's, It's not how much money you make. It's not how many prayers you pray. It's not how much money you give. In second place from Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as much as yourself. As fast as you try to meet your own needs, try to meet your neighbor's needs. That means so much to God. It gets the silver medal. But the gold, the greatest, the most important, is to love God. Love God, not just for an hour on the weekend. No, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. In the way that you think, in the things that you love, in the things that you do, let God be the first one that you seek, the one you trust most, the one you love with the deepest passion 
of your heart. Jesus says, if you do that, well, it's like the whole law hangs on that. Love God right and you will not waste this day, this year, or your life. It is your soul's greatest priority. So we should probably talk about that, huh? In the Bible, the word love is kind of like your grandma's purse. Right? There's a lot in there. <laughs> so since this is so important to Jesus, let's unpack this a little bit. What exactly does it mean when Jesus said to love God? I'll write this down. Here's my biblical definition. Um, to love God simply means to joyfully prioritize God. So when God comes first, before what's easy, what's convenient, how your parents taught you, what the, the pastor or the church says, if, if, God, if God is at the top of the list and you follow God joyfully, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not, ah. Oh, but with a smile on your face, if you do what God wants, this is the definition of love for God. Let me prove it to you from 1 John chapter 5. Um, the New Testament says, this is love for God. Here it is. To keep his commands. And, don't miss this, and his commands are not burdensome. According to Jesus, what matters more than anything else is that you today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life joyfully prioritize God. Which actually makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Um, who here has been in a relationship before, married, dating someone long-term? Yeah. Do you know what makes a person feel loved in a relationship? When you joyfully prioritize them? Not just say, hey, I love you, honey, or I have feelings for you. But when you actually do something to prove that they're a priority in your life. I mean, uh, imagine I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm watching some English Premier League soccer and my wife has like a hundred things on her to-do list. She's washing dishes with one hand and, and stirring the, the soup for dinner on the other and like with her toe, she's returning emails and I'm saying, hey honey, I love you. Go. She's going to say, ah, no, 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 you don't. <laughs> no, I don't want you just to say it. I don't want you just to feel it. I want you to do it. I want you to prioritize me. That's how relationships work. But if I got off the couch and said, fine, I'll put away the game and I stomp around, will she feel loved? Well, the answer is no. But if I joyfully put her first, if, if I act without having to be asked, if it's just, you know, I, I like soccer, but I love you more and so I pick you first, that's what love looks like in real life. And the authors of the Bible know that that's what love for God looks like too. It's not just a feeling, it's not just a belief, yeah, sure, I believe in God, I love him, I sing a song. It's when I have to pick, when I can't do everything, when God is my priority and I'm not dragging my feet and saying, oh, I guess I have to because I'm a Christian, the Bible says. Now, when I want to, when I serve him with a willing heart, this is what love looks like. Um, if at, at, the, at the end of your life or at the end of this day, you can look back and say, I, I tried to put God first and I wanted to, Jesus would say that. That's what matters most. Maybe we could uh, visualize it this way. Now, let's imagine that this um, big yellow brick that says God on it represents God. Are you with me so far? <laughs> let's imagine that this red brick represents sin, something God doesn't want you to do. Let's imagine this green brick represents uh, work, career, money. And let's imagine this blue brick represents um, relaxation, comfort, Recreation, sitting down, catching up, taking a nap. 
Um, according to Jesus, what matters most at the level of your soul is not, do you believe in God? To Jesus, the question is, where, where is God? When you can't do everything, when you have to pick and choose what comes first, where does God fit into the order of your heart? So, for example, um, let's say you grab coffee with a friend after church today. And in the midst of that conversation, you, th you think of something that's not right. Um, like a secret you heard about a mutual friend. And it's super interesting. It would easily be the most exciting part of the conversation. Like, for the sake of, of that moment, what? She did what? I can't believe. Did you know that? I mean, that would provide a, a rush in a sense. Then there's God, the God who loves to protect the reputations of people, the, the God who doesn't want to see trust destroyed just for sharing some juicy tidbit in the moment, the God who commands us to treat others as we would want to be treated. And if I had messed up, I wouldn't want the whole world talking about that. In that moment, when you're choosing between God and sin, the question is just what, what, do, you, what do you love most? Right? No, no doubt, so there is some short-term benefit to this, but is your love for God so much that you can say, no, 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 I'm not going to say that. No, that knowledge is going to be stored and locked in my heart and it's not going to come out because I want to protect that person's reputation. Every time you're tempted to sin, whether it's gossip or having too much to drink or snapping on one of your kids, the, the question is just, what, what do I love most? But it's not just sinful things. Think about good things like money. In the Bible, money's not bad. Uh, making money isn't bad. Spending money is not bad. Saving money and investing money is not bad. But what the Bible cares about most is, is when God has something to say about money, which comes first. Because God has a lot to say about money. Did you know this about the Bible? Um, God is so generous that he wants us, no matter what our income bracket, to be generous. You know, some people think of, you know, if I just come to church or if I just love my neighbor, then what I do with this doesn't matter. But that, that's just not true. This is love for God to obey his commands. And God says, if I give some to you, give back. If I bless you with much, then, then give much. Uh, sit down and set aside a percentage. Don't say I'm going to give later once all the bills are paid, once a down payment is set, once my investments reach. Well, then I'll have more to give. That's not what God says. And so the question is, what, what do you love more? Your financial plan or the plans of God, which have extravagant, radical, generous giving from the start? And is it a joy to, to write the check, to set up the donation, to give to the poor? Every, every day we're choosing what means more to us. Or think about comfort. You know, being comfortable is a great gift from God that we don't have to carry stress and work all the time. We can sit down and relax and take it easy. But, but there are some times when to serve God, we have to do uncomfortable things. Um, let's say all last year you were struggling with a certain sin that's kind of embarrassing and you don't want people to know about. And that's why they don't know about it. Uh, it might be self-harm that happened in your bedroom. It, it might be the stiff bourbon you pour for yourself most nights a week. It, it might be a struggle with pornography or a relationship that is just far from the love and respect that God wants 
in a marriage. And you would love to be free. You would love to change that. But the problem is, change is not comfortable. Telling your friends that you, you drink too much or that you have a D-minus marriage is embarrassing and it's uncomfortable. But, but God is a God of honesty, of openness, of community. He's not the God who wants you to hide your secrets and somehow pray things away. Instead, he asks you to get very uncomfortable, to confess your sins to each other, to talk about difficult issues in a relationship or in your personal habits. And so to joyfully prioritize God means doing really uncomfortable things. And, and so Jesus' huge question is, here, here's what matters more than anything. It's not, do you believe in God? It's not, did you come to church on Sunday? It's that God, when everything was said and done, have the first place in your heart and in your life. Did you joyfully put him first? This is love for God, to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. So here's a personal question. Um, as I've been talking for the last five minutes, was there something I said that just kind of stopped your breath in your lungs? Was there one of those ten examples that I gave that you, you just knew, oh, yeah, that's me? If that happened to you, that was the Holy Spirit of God trying to push that reset button on your heart. That was God telling you it's time to, to stop running and hiding. It might be a sex thing or a scheduling thing, a marriage thing, a money thing, a priorities or an ambition thing. But God wants to move you to not just repeat the same patterns of last year and think that somehow this year will be more blessed. He's reaching out to you, inviting you that this is love for God. This is what matters most out of all the things to keep his commands. And so I want to invite you, I want to ask you to do an uncomfortable thing. If this isn't like the normal setting of your heart, if something else is getting the biggest attention and focus of your energy, today's the day to step forward, to ask for prayer, to tell someone that you trust, to reach out to a pastor, to, to do things differently. This is not, church is not the place where we have to impress each other. It's where we seek God together. And I'm asking some of you not to make this another year where the marriage is miserable or you feel enslaved to a habit you can't escape. Instead, have the courage to love God so much you do the hard thing and put him first. To which some of you are thinking, Pastor, um, it doesn't feel very joyful right now. This is love for God to joyfully prioritize his commands. Why does it then why does it feel so heavy because I'm not done with the sentence? <laughs> Would you let me finish? Here's what biblical love is. It's joyfully prioritizing God. Here's why. Because God joyfully prioritized us. This, this is the thing. The reasonable part of my heart just cannot process. Think of that sentence. God, <laughs> God, prioritized us. The God who created the heavens and the earth saw you, one of eight billion breathing people, and he prioritized you. This is the thing that doesn't make sense.
but that can change your heart. Here's how the Bible says it. 1 John chapter 4, we love, which means obeying God's commands. Why? Because God first loved us. 2,000 years ago, God did something that was so illogical and irrational that putting him first with joy and anticipation is the only reasonable response. Many years ago, when I was just a kid, I was riding my bike around the neighborhood, and I noticed something on the street. I pedaled over, jumped off my bike, picked it up, and I found out that it was a checkbook. Some dude's checkbook, fat, with blank checks. His name, his address, oh, what's this, I thought. But I noticed that the address was right in the neighborhood, so I put the checkbook in my pocket, I pedaled over to his front door, I, I knocked, and when the guy opened the door and saw this Strange grade school kid standing on the front porch. He glanced onto my hand and he saw the checkbook. Oh my, yeah. And I handed him the checkbook. And do you know the first thing the guy did? He wrote me a check. <laughs> What's your name, kid? I'm Mike Novotny. All right. <laughs> he handed me a check. I think it was 50 or 100 bucks, which is like a billion dollars when you were my age. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Now, what expression, if you had to, if you had to predict, what expression was on this guy's face who was a $50 or $100 broker? What do you think it would be? It was pure joy. He, I had given him something first and his response, not reluctant, but joyful, was to give me something in return. Can you imagine if I had knocked on his door but he had never lost his checkbook? Excuse me, sir. My name is Mike Novotny. Um, would you give me $50, please? <laughs> get, get out of here, kid. <laughs> no, so what, what changed... That from being a, a have to or I don't want to to a get to to a, a, I want to. It was the fact that I did something valuable first. Friends, this is the Christian faith. That we don't start the process with our obedience to God. No, I love how the passage says it. We love, why? Because God first loved us. We strive to put God first, whether it's in our money or with our body, our sexuality, our schedules, our words, our actions, our everything. Why? Because before God ever gave us a single commandment, he made the most insane commitment. He loved us. The cross of Jesus tells the story, while we were still sinners, he died for us. When you're only 64, 5% sure you're going to make it to heaven. He, he gave the most amazing gift. Before we could do a, a thousand things to make up for the bad, he baptized us into Jesus' name. But before all the habits were fixed and we cleaned ourselves up, he shed his holy precious blood so that we could be cleaned up in the sight of God. This is so absurd. When, when Jesus, God in human flesh, simply washed his disciples' feet, they said, no, that's not right. You doing that to us? But that was the tiniest preview of a greater sacrifice that Jesus would give. When hours later, he'd stretch out his arms on the cross and, and not just wash their feet, but die for the forgiveness of their sins. Friends, this is what changes our hearts, that Jesus made saving you his number one priority. Before he told you to do anything, he did something. Before he commanded you to live like this, he lived and died for you. Before he said, serve God, God himself served you. Why do we joyfully prioritize God 
Because he gave us something infinitely better than a blank check. Instead, he wrote the check that paid our entire debt. He finished it so that you and I could be a thousand percent sure that we're good with God and we'll spend forever with him in heaven. And today as we start a new year, I just want you to to just sit in the gospel that only the Christian faith offers. You know, when this world tries to get you to change your habits and rearrange your priorities, they only have two tactics, the carrot or the stick. Why should you lose weight? Because if you don't, you're going to have a heart attack and have all these medications. Why should you lose weight? So you have more energy to get on the floor and play with your kids and your grandkids. There's only carrot or stick. Christianity has something so much better. Not carrot or stick, but the cross of Jesus. The purest example of love that changes humans from the inside out. So that a friend can offer us another drink. The devil can tempt us to slander and gossip. But we step back and say, no, no. I love God more. Because he loved me first. I want to ask you today, especially those of us who live here in America, to not rush to practical steps, but just to sit in the goodness and commitment of God. Part of my work with our ministry is to write books. And ever since I've started writing books, I've I've learned a little bit more about marketing than I ever knew before. Do you know what I've learned about marketing to Americans? Americans love to help themselves. Three steps to a divorce-free marriage. Boom, that's a bestseller. Five steps to have a vibe. We, we love to do stuff. It motivates us. And that, that can be good, but it can never be first. Now, you'll try like a New Year's resolution and fail. And so Christianity, Jesus Christ offers you this. But before you try, before you reorder, before you take that step, let's just sit at the foot of the cross and think about the biggest step that he took first. The forgiveness of our sins. So I urge you today to leave the past in the past and not bring any guilt or shame from the days that have gone by. Prioritize God, yes, but not to earn his love. But a simple gratitude that he loved you first. Hmm. 3,500 years ago, Moses was about to get the first ever edition of the Ten Commandments. Do you know the story? A couple million children of Israel, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God's thundering and he's about to deliver his top ten commandments, the list of what it means to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. He would say, have no other gods. You shall not use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus chapter 20 gives us the first ever list of the Ten Commandments. But do any of you here know what God said before the first commandment? Before God started that long list of do, 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 don't, don't, don't. Do you know what God said to his people? This is so important. I'll show you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I saved you. You were stuck. You were slaves. And I loved you so much. Here's what I did for you. I changed your future, your situation. That's why I'm your God, your Father in heaven, your Redeemer, and your Savior. Does that make you happy? 
Children of Israel said, yes, God said, good. Now here's how you can make me happy. And today, I hope you push and seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you do uncomfortable things, step out of the darkness, confess your sins, and connect with Jesus like you never have before. But please, 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 before you do that, listen to this. We, we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Oh God, uh, I thank you so much for your word to not have to guess what matters most, um, to know that all of us can love other people and love you. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be thin. We don't need a new job or a new house, a new car. Instead, we can do the most important thing in life right now today as we love you and love others. Uh, I'm praying that you would give tons of, of courage to people who are here today. Most of us need immense help when it comes to changing our life. Changing our diet and exercise habits are hard uh, changing the habits of our soul are even harder. So we need help. God, help us to ask for it from our life groups, from our parents, from our friends, from our pastors, and from our church, that this year could be stronger and better and holier than the year past. Oh, but God, more than anything, um, help us to just see the height and the width and the depth of your love. Help us just to sit and stare at the cross of Jesus and realize what a profound gift it is to be fully forgiven, 100% sure that heaven is ours because of what Jesus did. Um, may the gospel dig deep into our hearts, comfort us, and then compel us to live for you because you're absolutely worthy of it. Uh, bless our, our church in the year to come. Heavenly Father, bless time of grace as we declare not just your law and expectations, but especially the gospel of your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray all these things. And God's people said, Amen.